Acts 22, we will be starting in the very last verse of 22 and going into chapter 23 this morning. We are in this very unique uh, section of the book of Acts. Chapters 21 through 28 actually tells one long, continuous story. It's the story of Paul making his journey from Jerusalem to Rome. This is a story that covers the last eight chapters of the book of Acts. This makes up more than a quarter of the whole book. I'm pretty sure that this is the longest, continuous, singular story that we find in the New Testament. So because of the length of this one story, it can be really challenging to preach uh, these last eight chapters because the story is so interconnected. Kind of reminds me of the greatest television show ever known to the history of man, 24. I think I might have mentioned this before, but if not, if you've ever heard or watched the show 24, it is a great show. The show 24 uh, centers around a federal agent named Jack Bauer, and it's played by uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and it is his job to go around and stop the bad guys and stop terroristic plots against the United States. But the gimmick of the show is that um, it all takes place in real time. That's what makes the show kind of unique. What this means is that each season was one day in the life of Jack Bauer. 24 hours, hence where the title 24 comes from. And so what this means is that each season had 24 episodes, which means each episode was one hour long of real life time of this day uh, that Jack Bauer was going through. So what this means is that every episode or every hour is tightly interconnected to the previous episode and the future upcoming episodes as well because each season was one long continuous story. You really needed to see each episode in order to follow along and get all the details of this intricate story that was being told and to understand what was going on. It was a unique way of telling a story on television, a, a story in real time. And, and this is a unique way in Acts that we're going to see a story being told as well. Luke has reasons for the last quarter of his book to be this long, continuous story at the end of Acts. These events are interconnected. They're from previous passages to current passage and even future passages as well. And we're going to see that several times as we go along these last eight chapters and preach through this section. Because what we will need to do is we're going to need to reference from things in previous chapters of things that happened before to see how they connect to the current circumstances that are going on at the moment for Paul. Luke is going to great detail and showing us the significance and the meaning of the advancement of the gospel in order to fulfill Jesus' commission that he gave at the beginning of the book of Acts in Acts 1.8, where it says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what Luke is going to do is specifically show the great links that Paul was meant to go in order to fulfill that commission. 
to proclaim Jesus not only in Jerusalem, but ultimately in Rome and in front of Caesar himself. So let's look at our passage this morning. I'll be reading from Acts, uh, starting in chapter 22 and verse 30, and then reading through 23 and verse 11. The words will be on the screen if you'd like to follow along or read on your Bible as well. But if you could stand with me in honor of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. But on the next day, desiring to show to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the others were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension rose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say, there's no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by then, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force, bringing him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify also in Rome. So the word of the Lord, you may be seated. So just as a quick recap to see where we've been so far on this journey. Paul arrived in Jerusalem, and then he goes to the temple in order to make amends with some Jewish believers. While Paul is there, he's spotted by Jewish unbelievers, and a riot erupts. Paul is beaten and nearly killed before the Roman tribune and all of the soldiers come in and intervene on his behalf. Paul is allowed to speak to the Jewish crowd where he gives his testimony to them. The crowd gets all riled up again when Paul speaks of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And once again, it looks like a riot is about to break out. So the Roman tribune still does not understand what is going on, is ready to have Paul flogged in order to get an answer out of him. But Paul conveniently pulls out his Roman citizenship card and everything comes to a stop because it was against roman law to flog a roman citizen 
And that brings us to our passage this morning as we continue our long journey with Paul. And we're going to see some of the ways that these passages are all interconnected. Verse 30 begins the very next day after Paul was almost flogged when the Roman tribune, it seems, still doesn't understand all that is going on here. He still doesn't understand why the Jews are so upset with Paul and what accusations they are bringing against him. So notice that it says in verse 1 that out of respect for um, Paul's uh, citizenship, that he's been unbound. He's no longer in chains. And Paul is set before what is called the Sanhedrin, which basically means all the religious leaders have gathered together. Pharisees, Sadducees, they are all here uh, and Paul is ready to make his case before them. And then we get this statement by Paul in verse 1, which is probably a summary statement of a much longer message that Paul has given, where he says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Paul is saying a lot in this one summary statement which is more of a confession than anything else. Because this phrase, I have lived my life, literally means I have lived as a citizen. So what Paul is literally saying, he's saying, I have lived as a citizen before God. Paul is showing us here where his true allegiance lies. Paul's citizenship, his allegiance is with the Lord. It's not with the Jewish community. It's not with the Pharisees or the Sadducees or anything else in this world. It is with the Lord. And this is what Paul is proclaiming. He is saying, I am living for the approval of God. God's opinion is what matters most to Paul. Living for God is what Paul is going to be all about. God is the one that Paul wants to honor and obey. God is the one that Paul wants to please with his life. See, Paul isn't interested in the opinion of man. Paul isn't after the approval or acceptance of the Jewish community or the Pharisees or the Sadducees. This is what Paul also declared in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10 when he said, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus is the one that Paul wants to please. Paul values most of all being approved by God. Paul is not about being a man pleaser, but instead he is about being a God pleaser which I think is a good evaluation question for us to be thinking through this morning. Whose opinion matters most to you? Who are you striving to live for? Whose approval do you want most? Where do you want your citizenship to be aligned with? God or the world or some other people that you're wanting to get that approval from? Because our lives are always confessing a citizenship to someone. So let me just encourage us as a church this morning. Let's be about a people who are committed to their citizenship and allegiance to God. Pleasing Him and wanting His approval. 
Next, in verse 2, we see that the high priest Ananias did not like that answer that Paul gave. So he had someone slap him across the face. Ananias did not approve of Paul's answer, and here's why. Because Ananias knows this about Paul. He knows that he's a Jew, and he also knows that he's following Jesus, claiming that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And in Ananias' mind, Paul can't be a good Jew and a follower of Jesus at the same time. So Ananias sees that Paul is a lawbreaker because he is lying when he says that he is living his life before God in a good conscience. Because Paul can't do that when he's following Jesus. See, these two things just don't compute in the mind of Ananias. So... According to Ananias, this is going to make Paul a blasphemer when he makes this claim. And that's why he has him slapped across the face. So Paul doesn't take very kindly to, one, this false accusation and the treatment that he's given. And so he confronts Ananias very directly in two different ways in verses 3 through 5. The first thing that Paul confronts Ananias with is his hypocrisy that's saying God is going to actually strike him because he is a whitewashed wall. That word sounds a lot like Jesus when he called the Pharisees whitewashed uh, cups and tombs. Basically, what Paul is saying to Ananias, he's saying, no, you are the one that is living a life that is inconsistent to God's word. You are the ones that are trying to look good on the outside, looking good for appearance's sake. But on the inside, underneath the surface, is nothing but death and dirt inside. Because Ananias cannot keep the law all by himself. He is a lawbreaker in his heart. And there's nothing that he can do to clean himself up good enough on the inside. Paul even says, you know what? You struck an innocent man. You struck me who is innocent. And in doing that, you are even a lawbreaker in that very moment. That's what Paul is declaring in, at the end of verse 3. You see, the reason that Paul can say that he has lived his life before God in all good conscience is because he is trusting in the, trust, he is trusting, uh, in the finished work of Jesus to save him. Paul is trusting in Jesus who kept the law perfectly on his behalf. Paul's righteousness is rooted and grounded in the finished work of Christ and nothing of himself. Paul sees that Ananias and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are the guilty ones because they are trusting in their own good works to save them. They are all lawbreakers without Jesus. So this raises a good question for us this morning. What are you trusting in to save you? Are you here this morning just hoping that, you know, I just hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? That I'm just a really good person, and that will earn me the approval of God. Or are you trusting in Jesus, and Jesus alone, and his good work, going to the cross, dying for you, to save you from your sins? This is the message that we proclaim, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we hope, if you have never trusted in the good news of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for you, and that you would trust in him.
But Paul's not done yet, is he? Some did not like Paul's accusation against Ananias. So they ask him, would you revile the high priest? And then Paul gives this very interesting response in verse 5. Look with me in verse 5 again, where Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, people struggle to actually understand um, what Paul is actually saying here. And it's difficult to understand because we don't know the tone in which Paul says this verse right here. You might know what this is like. You ever gotten that text or that email from someone and you read it, and you're not quite sure of the tone of what that person is saying to you. You're like, hmm, is that person, are they really mad at me? Are they upset with me? Or Because it seems a little bit short and, and a little direct, or maybe they're just in a hurry, right? And they got to shoot out that quick text for you. So they just give you the basic information and that's it, right? I've had that happen before. I'm like, oh, hey, sorry, did, did, I, did I say something wrong there? And I get a reply like, oh, no, 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 no. I just, I was in a hurry. I had to, had to go. I was like, oh, okay, good. Because texts and emails are hard to read the tone, right? It's difficult to read the tone sometimes of what's being said. And I think that's why this is difficult here in this passage here is it's hard to understand the tone in which Paul is speaking here. But I don't think Paul is being apologetic in this moment. Considering how harsh Paul's words in verse 3, I think Paul knows very well who is in the crowd. It says that he looked intently at the council in verse 1. I think Paul has a very good idea. I think he's very clear who is there and what's taking place. Remember, he was a Pharisee himself. He knows how these proceedings work. Paul's very aware of what's going on with him. And I think there's a lot of irony in Paul's tone in what he is saying in verse 5. I believe that Paul does not recognize the legitimacy of Ananias as the high priest because Ananias does not recognize Jesus as the Messiah and the one who fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. Paul rejects Ananias as high priest because Ananias has rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Paul knows that there's only one true high priest and his name is is Jesus. And he's letting Ananias clearly know what he thinks about him. Then Paul gets really cunning in verses 6 through 10, right? He knows who's all in the crowd convicting him, both Pharisees and Sadducees. So Paul decides to pit one group against the other. Paul, again, makes what is probably a summary statement of a much longer message that he gives in verse 6, where it says, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope, the resurrection of the dead, that I am on trial. First, Paul reminds everyone that at one time he was a Pharisee. And then secondly, and most importantly, he is telling the people about the hope that he holds to of the resurrection of the dead. Now, we all know that when Paul is talking about the hope of the resurrection of the dead, that that hope is squarely and firmly found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only hope that we can truly have in the resurrection is because of Jesus and what he did, rising on the third day and defeating death. Eternal life can only be found in Jesus which is a really good reminder for us this morning. We have a great hope. 
we always have a great hope in the resurrection of the dead because of Jesus. I think we need that reminder often because when we look at the world, when I look at the world today and look at the things that are going on in the world, or I look at the things that are taking place in our country and I go, man, things seem really messed up right now. This seems to be a lot of darkness right now. But the good news is, is no matter how dark and bleak things get, we know how the story ends. The story ends in resurrection because of Jesus. And that is a great hope that we can always bank on, no matter how hard things may look around us, because resurrection wins the day. So here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that the Pharisees and Sadducees do not agree on the point of the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's pretty smart in this moment that he's taking the attention off himself and gets it on the Pharisees and the Sadducees arguing against each other because the Pharisees hold to the resurrection of the dead not by the way of Jesus, but they do hold to this idea. But the Sadducees do not hold to this idea of the resurrection of the dead. So Paul lights this fire between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then they fan the flame, and this argument breaks out between the two groups. This is a pretty smooth move by Paul on his part, because remember, Paul wants to get to Rome. His end goal is to get to Rome. And Paul's trial comes to an end in this moment because a new violence erupts that again threatens Paul's life, in his safety, so he's back again in the barracks, sitting in jail, because that's the only safe place for him to be. And then comes this great verse in verse 11. I love this verse. Read this verse with me again. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The Lord stood by him. Let those five words sink in with you. They are simple but profound words. I mean, I cannot think of any better news that Paul could have heard while he was sitting in the barracks. The Lord stood by him. I mean, can you think of a greater comfort than the Lord stood by him? Can you think of a better encouragement than the Lord stood by him? Can you think of a greater confidence booster than the Lord stood by him? Can you think of a brighter hope than the Lord stood by him? Can you think of a stronger support than the Lord stood by him? What can be better than knowing that the Lord, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, of everything that we see and know, is standing with Paul in the hardest season of his life? And then look at what the Lord says to Paul in verse 11. Take courage is the first thing that he says, which literally means be of good cheer. Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. There's several things to see here. I want to see the first thing is this, just that phrase, take courage, what I think is directly connected to the phrase before, which is said, the Lord stood by him. See, our ability to take 
courage or to be of good cheer or to continue to have hope or to be brave or to have confidence is because the Lord stood with us. Paul's not able to take courage because he's some brave guy or he has this strong internal fortitude about him. Paul is not able to be of good cheer just because he's the eternal optimist. Paul needs something more than himself to do this. He needs something bigger than himself. Now, Paul's ability to take courage is because the Lord stood by him. And the only way that Paul is able to take courage is because the Lord stood by him. Because if the Lord did not stand with him, he would not be able to take courage. I mean, just think of all the persecution and hardship and suffering that Paul has dealt with in Jerusalem. But because the Lord who is with him and stood with him, the good news is, is that the Lord is bigger than all of that persecution, than all of that hardship, and all of that suffering that Paul has faced. The road that Paul is taking is hard. The road that Paul is taking is uncertain. Yet, the Lord's presence with Paul is very certain. And it's that certainty of the Lord's presence is the key to Paul's bravery. Because look at the next phrase here. It says, for as you have testified to the fact about me in Jerusalem. Notice a couple of things here. First thing is to remember that Paul is testifying to the fact of Jesus as Messiah to the Jews in Jerusalem. So what this verse is doing, this verse is equating the truth that Jesus is Lord. The Lord stood by him, you're testifying about Jesus. This is a bold claim showing us the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. But it's also telling us about what Paul has done in his past. Notice what it says, for he has testified past tense in Jerusalem to the truths of who Jesus is. So this tells us that Jesus has already stood with Paul. Paul has been able to be courageous about speaking about Jesus to the Jews because Jesus has already been standing with him. I mean, the things that we've seen already in chapter 21 and 22 and 23 up to this point are just pure chaos, right? Riot over and over and over again is taking place. Paul being beaten, his life is threatened. Paul has already walked a really hard road and he hasn't even gotten out of the city of Jerusalem yet. But yet in all of that chaos, Jesus stood with Paul. It may have looked up to this point like Paul was absolutely alone. But according to verse 11, he clearly was not alone because Jesus stood by him. And the truth that Jesus is standing with Paul affects Paul's decisions. And here's what I mean by that. Last week, we saw that Paul waited till the very last moment, right before the flogging was going to take place on him, that he pulls out his Roman citizenship card. I said earlier, it was illegal to flog a Roman citizen. That Roman tribune would have lost his job and maybe even his life if he had Paul been flogged. And what I find amazing is why did Paul wait so long to pull out that Roman citizenship card? 
I mean, that is like having the ultimate trump card in your hip pocket. And Paul kept it back there for a really long time, right? He's been beaten. He's had all of this mistreatment take place to him. And I wonder, man, why did you pull that out sooner, Paul? I sure would have. But Paul had to testify first to the Jews about the truth of who Jesus is. I believe that Paul wanted to do that first because that was his first priority. This is what Jesus had called Paul to do. And so Paul took the beating and the arrest and the mistreatment in order to proclaim Jesus first without his Roman citizenship getting in the way. He wanted people to know that his citizenship was with God first before Rome. So that's why he waited. And that's why Jesus gave Paul the courage to do all that he did because Jesus was with Paul. Because Jesus is greater than a Roman citizenship card. But that's not all that Jesus says to Paul in verse 11. Uh, because the last thing Jesus says is that so you must also testify in Rome. Jesus isn't done yet with Paul. The road that Paul is on is really just beginning. We still have five and a half chapters to go on this journey to Rome, which takes place over a two-year period. This is a long road that Paul had to travel. It, it is not two years of a travel to Jerusalem, to Rome, and yet this is the road that Paul had to travel. kind of reminds me of a long road home from Lincoln to Fremont once. Uh, back in uh, 2019, when the flood happened, when the city of Fremont became an island. Remember that? That Friday when the, that happened, uh, we, early in the morning, our family had gone into Omaha. We were going to have lunch together. We were going to see a movie. And we, as we were driving to Omaha, we noticed that there was water creeping up on a lot of the roads. We were like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, and then, so we went to Omaha, we, we watched, uh, we ate lunch, we watched the movie, and when the movie got out, I was seeing some text and, and some things going on, on social media that said, Fremont is an island. And we were like, what? Are you serious? And so we began trying to go home, and every road that we were trying to take, there was, there were barricades and police officers that said, you can't go that way. I'm like, okay, well, let's try this next route. Can't go that way. And all of a sudden, we realized, we're not getting home. And we were like, hmm, what are we going to do? So we call my folks, because I still lived in Lincoln at that time, and I said, Mom and Dad, we're coming. Whether you're ready for us or not, here we come. And we came with literally with nothing with clothes on our back, right? I mean, we had to go to Target and buy toothbrush and toothpaste and deodorant and all the necessities, because we had nothing with us. And so we're in Lincoln Friday, wondering, when are we going to get home? Saturday, nothing. Sunday, oh, we're still here. I can't tell you how many times I looked at the Nebraska Department of Roads app on my phone that weekend. I never even knew that existed before that moment. And, and, and so, and then, but then on Monday morning, it was there. And I'm looking at that map, and I'm telling um, our family, I'm like, I think we can get home. I think there's a route in place here, but it's going to take over two and a half hours to get home. And so that's what we did. We went way west of Fremont and way north of Fremont in order to get home. But two and a half hours later, we made it home on the weirdest road that I think we've ever traveled to get home from Lincoln to Fremont. But, but here's the deal. My road is, is nothing, absolutely nothing 
compared to the road that Paul is about to take. It is a road that's going to be a whole lot longer and a whole lot harder. It's going to be a tedious road for Paul to travel. It's going to have all sorts of twists and turns and bumps on the road of suffering and persecution and hardship. But nothing is going to stop Paul from getting to Rome because Jesus said, you're going to Rome. And when Jesus says that something is going to happen, there's nothing that can stand against it. Nothing is going to stop Paul. Paul is invincible on the road to Rome. Because when Jesus stands with you and when Jesus speaks, you can overcome everything and every obstacle that comes in your way. Now here's the deal. Jesus didn't remove the obstacles of the path to Rome, but he did see Paul through the obstacles as he went to Rome. Jesus is going to stand and walk with Paul every step of the way to Rome, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how long it takes. Jesus is going to walk with him. And there's a great reinforcement of a truth in verse 11 that I want us to see here as well this morning, that Jesus is reminding Paul of his faithful provision to Paul in the past in order to encourage Paul of Jesus' faithful future provision to him. Here's what I mean to this. Jesus said, you know, I faithfully stood with you, Paul, in Jerusalem. I was there with you, and because I was with you and I saw you safely through in Jerusalem, then you can have confidence and you can trust that Jesus, you are going to see Paul safely all the way through to Rome as well. This is really encouraging for us to see that we are meant to see the past faithfulness of God's provision and the way he's been there, the way that he's cared for us, the way he saw us through difficult seasons in the past to give us confidence and trusting that, you know, the Lord is going to provide for us in the future as well. When you look back on your lives personally, when you look back and see all the ways that the Lord has been faithfully there for you and provided for you, this is meant to build your confidence and trust that the Lord's going to provide right now for whatever you're going through and whatever you're dealing with, and he's going to provide in the future as well. So the question for you this morning is this. What road of hardship or suffering are you walking on right now? Maybe your road is relatively new for you. Maybe just this past week or past month, you've started down a road of hardship. Maybe you've been on this road of suffering for a really long time, a year or two, or a decade or more. Let verse 11 be an encouragement to you. You too can take courage and be of good cheer, knowing that the Lord has stood with you every step of the way. Let the good news of the power and might and strength of his presence is carrying you every step of that road. Let the beautiful reality of Jesus standing with you be your great comfort, your bright encouragement. 
We need frequent reminders of this truth that the Lord is standing with us. This is not Paul's first encouragement from Jesus. Remember back in uh, chapter 18. Just turn back to Acts 18. uh, Just a couple of pages back. And in verse 9, where it says, And the Lord said to Paul, Uh, one night in a vision. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. For I am with you. This is the promise of provision that Jesus gives Paul over and over and over again. I'm with you. I am with you. And we need that. We need frequent reminders that Jesus is faithfully going to be with us and provide for us in the future. I mean, Paul has a lot of hardship coming his way in the next five and a half chapters as we're going to look at this in the, in the next uh, several weeks as we finish up this book. There's plots against his life. He's forgotten in prison. He's shipwrecked. He's, be, he's bitten by a viper. I mean, I would have to imagine that through all of that hardship, Paul had to remind himself the truths of verse 11 over and over again. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me, and I can take courage. I remember how he was with me in Jerusalem. I remember how he was with me in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. I remember that he has been with me, and so uh, you know what? He's going to do the same thing and get me to Rome, no matter how long it takes. And I'm sure Paul had no idea back here in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21 and 22 and 23 that it was going to take him over two years to get to Rome. He had no idea how long or how hard that road was going to be. And yet, by the time we get to the end of Acts 28, what are we going to see? The Lord fulfills his promise. Paul makes it to Rome. So, in the same way this morning, we do not know how long the road of suffering that the Lord has for us. But we do know this one thing. We do know that no no matter how long or how hard that road is, Jesus will be with us every step of the way. He's near and he's caring. So, let's remind ourselves of this great truth over and over again because there's no better word for the weary traveler on the road of suffering. The Lord is standing by you. Take courage. Be of good cheer. The Lord is near. He's strong. He's standing with you. He will continue to stand with you and he will never stop standing with you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this encouraging word this morning. That in the midst of all the real and hard and intense suffering that Paul is enduring here at the end of Acts that you brightly and boldly declare the truth, that you are standing with him. And that is good news for us. Lord, I pray for the church this morning. I pray for our people and the roads that they are walking right now.
Some have been walking a road of suffering for a long time. Some have just started on that road. Some of us may be getting ready to walk on that road very soon. But I pray for all of us that we would find our bright hope that the Lord is standing with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And there's nothing better than your presence being near to your people in the hard seasons of life. God, I pray that you would remind us of that, because I know sometimes when the road gets hard, we will look at the obstacles in the way more than we look at you. So I pray that you would help us to set our gaze firmly fixed on you, knowing that you are the one standing with us and that you are the one who will see us through. Pray this in your good name. Amen.